Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Shamak Sandu from Toronto in Canada, bringing you some fighting talk with a distinctly British flavor. And boy, if you listen to last week's show, you will not be surprised to know that this weekend's event was an absolute banger because we told you repeatedly during last week's show, do not sleep on this fight night card at the UFC Apex. And boy, Sandu, it delivered, didn't it? It was, a, it was an absolute cracker of a night. Yeah, and it wasn't even just the main event. Obviously, the main event is what, you know, closed the show, what everybody was looking forward to, the return of Peter Dillashaw. Corey Sandhagen's been on this incredible run. Essentially, it was a number one contender title eliminator type of fight that was set up there. But the card was just littered with prospects and fighters on the, the come up. And man, so many fights delivered the goods, so many finishes, all round fantastic card. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, even from the very first fight in the night with um, Romania's Diana Belbita, who I think we've seen live a couple of times uh, on this side of the pond, getting her first UFC win against Hannah Goldie. That was a great fight. And then it just went on from there. Sajara Eubanks doing the business and then through the prelims and then into the main card. Uh, we had three decisions on that main card and all three of them were, were subject to a certain amount of uh of controversy and we will get into that as we run through the car but sandy where else can we start mate but the main event tj dillashaw been away from the cage for two years uh tested positive for epo uh epo for those who aren't in the know is a blood booster uh it's an illegal blood booster which basically artificially uh increases the body's ability to create red blood cells which basically means you can train harder your body doesn't fatigue as quickly um, and uh, it gives you a real physical competitive advantage. It doesn't affect your skill level, but it does affect the amount of time that you can spend drilling those skills. So it's a pretty serious, serious thing to be uh, testing positive for. Banned for two years, comes back, and they give him the consensus number one contender, uh, Corey Sanhagen, who looked absolutely brilliant leading into this fight. And it was a real acid test. How would Dillashaw look off the juice, so to speak? Uh, how will Sanhagen look against the former pound-for-pound pound star of the division? It was an unbelievably good fight, super close fight. Uh, Sandra, you'll be able to tell us just how close in a minute. But uh, it was TJ Dillashaw who got the nod. Um, split decision. He got uh, 248-47s in his favour. One judge gave it to Corey Sanhagen. I'll be honest with you, I didn't sit there and score it uh religiously so to speak i didn't sit there with a specific mind to right i'm going to watch this as if i'm scoring it so i would have to watch it back to get a really true sense of it but my sense when it when it got to the final buzzer was that sanhagen had done enough to win three of those rounds so what was your take sandu and i know that this was a one of the one of the closest fights that we've seen in a very long time it really was let me just concur everything that you just said there simon Super competitive, super close. I know that Tia Dillashaw is going to be carrying around a bag of rocks for the rest of his career when it comes to his uh, his past PED transgressions. That being said, all the tests leading up to this fight has come back negative. And for a guy that was away from the sport for, what, two, two and a half years, to come back and to compete in a main event slot against Corey Sandhagen, he looked really good. He is still at that elite 
in my opinion, championship level. And the fact that he had a serious knee issue early on in the fight, then had a gruesome cut that was just gushing blood. That, by the way, shouts to the cut man for doing a tremendous job in trying to keep that cut um, closed uh, with Vaseline and and all the rest of it, using his uh, his you know various technique tech tech techniques just to kind of get Tito to the shore through those rounds, uh, so he can be stitched up afterwards. That, that did such a great job. Um, so that all being said, I thought Tito Dillashaw did a fantastic job in staying in the fight and competing. I thought Corey Sandhagen did enough to win, in my opinion. I gave him rounds two, four, and five. And I thought it was fairly, I mean, in the moment, I thought it was fairly easy. But having had a chance to watch it a second time, I can see how some people may have given Tia Dillashaw uh, the fight on the scorecards. It was a lot more closer than I initially thought it was. Um, and I think overall, Corey Sandhagen will look back at his performance and say to himself, you know what, I maybe tried a few spinning attacks willy-nilly that I shouldn't have. I should have had you know, gone in for the kill when perhaps I had TJ you know, stunned with some of his shots. And I think long-term, this is going to be a great you know, learning experience for Corey moving forward. And for TJ, Simon, what can you say? To put in that performance, most importantly, to get the result that he needed, like he said in his post-fight interview, like he said in the post-fight press conference, he has all of his eyes now firmly set on that title. And we'll see what the, the situation is later on this year with regards to Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling. Uh, you can get out for a second time. But in my opinion, Dillashaw's next fight should be for the title. Yeah, yeah, you have to agree. I mean, the man has served his, he served his sentence, isn't he? He served his punishment. And he will be if not the most tested athlete in the UFC, he's going to be one of them for sure. Not just because he, he uh, tested hot first time, but because of what he tested for. USADA will be all over him, like white on rice for the rest of his career, making sure that he is squeaky clean uh, before, during and after every fight. So uh, I think if there's one thing that we can be sure of, it's that Dillashaw is very unlikely to be uh, getting away with too much in in, in, in that regard during the rest of his career, you know, the testers just will not let that happen. Granted, now he's been through that. I have a certain of opinion when it comes to, to doping in, 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 in MMA. Um, I think that if you, if you take performance enhancers that, that allow you to hit harder, fight stronger, I think you put your opponent at a serious risk. And I think that the punishment should be heavier, but the punishments are the punishments that we have. He's done his two years. He deserves to be back. He's just beaten the uh, the next guy in line for a title shot, uh, albeit very closely. But he did beat him. It wasn't a controversial. It wasn't a controversial decision. It wasn't like Sandhagen clearly won. Um, so he deserves to be fighting for the belt next. And uh, our friends at Verdict MMA, Sandy, who I know, I know you know those guys very well. They put up an incredible graphic. Um, those who know the Verdict app, where you can score the fight as you're going along. They released a, a graphic yesterday showing you just how close uh, the many, many thousands of people who now use that app actually scored that fight. So that it, it gives you a, an average score based on all of the scores submitted uh, by the users of that platform. And the final score, the final scorecard on the Verdict app, 47.56 for Corey Sanhagen, 
47.46 for TJ Dillashaw. So we're talking one tenth of a percentage point, uh, or sorry, one one tenth of a point rather um, difference, which is which is nothing. So that tells you just how close this fight was. You know, almost half the people on that app thought that Dillashaw won, the other half thought that Corey won. So super 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 close fight. And as you say, it's all day, all, all eyes on Aljamain Sterling and Peter, and, and Peter Yan now, isn't it? That's the fight. What we need now is a definitive winner, a definitive result so that we don't need the immediate trilogy. And then Dillashaw gets back in, fights for the belt. And then Sanhagen, I guess, faces the loser of that title fight with the winner of that, slotting in next in line to uh, get the shot after TJ. But the bantamweight division, man, is absolutely, absolutely rammed with talent. I mean, we've talked about the lightweight division for years. But if you're talking sheer strength and depth uh, down sort of 1 to 15, I think the bantamweights might just have the best division in the UFC. It's absolutely packed with talent. And uh, you could see the title changing hands a few times over the course of the next few years. That's how good these guys are. They're all top draw, pound for pound level, some of them. Yan, I think, is a pound for pound athlete. I think uh, Dillashaw was a pound for pound athlete. And I'm, I, I get the impression to put in a performance like that at the weekend after two and a bit years off, he's going to look even better next time out. So I think he's a, he, he's still a pound for pound athlete. Sterling is outstanding. Sanhagen is outstanding. The division looks out absolutely rammed going forward. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, Sandu. Yeah, and another option for Corey Sanhagen could be the Rob Font fight. Um, you know, apparently, yeah. you know, uh, Sean Shelby made him a pinky promise uh, with regards to him literally just being one win away from fighting for the title. But Bantamweight Simon is just an embarrassment of riches anyway. And I feel like yeah. it's, you know, really making a name for itself as probably the best division period in the sport right now. Uh, obviously, I think the the star power and the biggest draws are still at, you know, welterweight slash lightweight. But in terms of just pound for pound, who's going to give you most bang for your buck action, good value for tuning in is bantamweight all day. And yeah, like you said, once we get a bit of clarity with uh, the top of the division in terms of, you know, the champion moving forward, once Jan and Sterling kind of, you know, settle their score, the list of contenders being lined up right now, the next couple of years are going to be really, really fun at 135 pounds. Yeah. And to sort of continue the bantamweight conversation, the co-main event was also a 135 pound fight. Uh, two guys looking to move their way up. Uh, Kyla Phillips, who was just inside those bantamweight rankings, uh, Haulian Paiva, who I think moved up in weight class. Actually, was uh, he moved up in weight class from uh, from flyweight? He uh, he he's looking to to make a bit of a run at 135. That was an interesting fight as well. I mean, Kyla Phillips was going absolutely mad in that first round, trying to get trying to get Paiva out there, and came really close to doing it. Really, really dominant round. Looked really close to finishing Paiva. Piver looked so done at the end of that first round. He didn't even get off the floor. Um, he just basically stayed where he was because he was sitting in his corner anyway. And then they, uh, the corner came in and basically gave him his uh, his pep talk. And Piver was sat in exactly the same spot that uh, Kyler Phillips had, uh, had had basically left him in. So it didn't look good for him after one round. But somehow, and I tweeted, they should they should give him the nickname the Brazilian Zombie because. He just came back and really went for it in rounds two and three. For me, won both those rounds pretty clearly. And then it was all down, Sandu, to how you score that first round. I thought, and the people who I spoke to online agreed, 
That was a 10-8 round. That looked like a pretty nailed-on 10-8 round to me. But two of the judges did not score it as a 10-8 round. Uh, Eric Cologne and Chris Lee both gave it 10-9 to Kyla Phillips. And because of that, that decision, it meant that uh, it was a, uh, it was a, a win for uh, Piver. Uh, who got it by uh, by by majority decision rather? So, um, whereas if he'd have got the two, if he'd have got another judge to give him a ten eight, it would have been a, it would have been a split draw. Oh, sorry, sorry, a majority draw. Uh, and I think I think that that would have been, I think, the fair result. But um, did you did you see that first round as a ten eight, or did you think that, that you know there was a little bit more to go? I didn't think there was a hell of a lot else he could have done in that first five minutes. Yeah, I agree. I gave it to him. For 10-8 and I thought by the end of the fight that this was going to be a draw and but you know how it is and obviously judging controversy was one of the biggest stories in coming out of Saturday's event uh, in the apex and this is another situation and but I will say Kyler Phillips looks like the kind of guy that will just empty the tank in the first five minutes Simon looking for that you know finish and you know he's he's so acrobatic and he's so I guess um stylish and so aggressive and you know keeps moving forward um head hunting all the time um got a, got a, a, a crazy array of acrobatic um attacks in, in his locker but um you know once the first five minutes were were done it, you could see him slow down and that's where piver kind of really battled back and credit to him uh, for coming back in those you know second and third round and you know you did mention the fact that you know he has fought a flyweight before his last fight was supposed to be at flyweight. He missed weight, and now he's at bantamweight. I think 135 pounds is the right weight class for him. But credit to both men. This ended up getting fight of the night. And I tell you what, they had to both put in the work to steal fight of the night honors because there were some absolute bangers on this card, um, not to mention the main event as well. So credit to them for getting some extra bonus money there. Well deserved to both lads. Yeah, Piver currently, as I'm looking at the rankings, which I don't think have been updated yet, um, ranked 12th at 125 pounds. Uh, and uh, Carla Phillips currently listed 14th at 135. So uh, Piver, I think, probably because he missed weight, was told you're going to have to go fight at, at 35. Looked good. Looked good. He was getting his arse handed to him in the first round, but um, really bounced back superbly. And uh, I think if Carla Phillips just took 5% off what he did, in terms of his output and just going for it, I think he would be, he would be a an even more dangerous fighter than he is now. He looks like he's got he's got all the techniques in the bag. He just looks a little bit keen, and uh, that over keenness I think cost him, uh, cost him at the very least, at the very least a draw. I thought he was hard done by on the scorecards, but um, yeah, he ended up losing rounds two and three. Um, it was such a good card. I mean, it's not often that you walk away from a fight card. And even the decisions are great. You know, when I say the decisions, I mean the fights that went to a decision. Some of the decisions weren't great. That was one example. Um, but before that, we had uh, Darren Elkins versus Derek Minner. I was really interested to see this fight because Derek Minner, who trains out of uh, out of Kansas with, uh, oh, crikey, I've complete, James Krause. I had a complete brain fart then. Um, and uh, he, he is a submission specialist at 145 pounds he's outstanding he's got loads of fights on his record he's got a ton of submissions but he's taking on a zombie in darren elkins uh the damage and uh it was a case of could he do something that very few people have been able to do and that is submit darren elkins 
and boy did he try he really went for it in that first round couldn't get the job done and then elkins as elkins likes to do goes through the mill turns the fight around gets the second round tko finish and uh it was if if, if you could look up a stereotypical darren elkins fight you could look up any number of them but this one was an absolutely uh, brilliant example of what you get to see every time Elkins gets in the cage. He goes in there, gets beat up a little bit or gets dominated a little bit, then turns it around and uh, breaks his opponent. Amazing stuff. He just keeps on doing it. You can never count out the damage, Simon. This man, I don't know how he keeps getting into these situations where he takes an absolute licking in the first round or in the early portion of a fight. And then somehow, some way, just seems to battle his way back. And again, very similar to the Piva Phillips fight. I felt like Derek Minner just kind of emptied the tank in that first round. And then, you know, yeah, Darren Elkins just you know, turned the tables on him. And instead of going all the way to the judges' scorecards, he was able to actually finish the fight um, in that second round. So credit Darren Elkins. Man, I mean, you got to just, he is one of the most likable guys in the sport just because of his attitude, his personality, and the performances. You know he's going to give it his all. And, you know, he's just one of those guys you end up rooting for, you know, as the fight's playing out. And like I said, he keeps getting himself into these crazy situations where he's coming back from behind. Hopefully, he doesn't want to continue to keep doing that um, because it's not probably going to be great for your long-term health there. He did say that, you know, he's very, I guess, realistic, Simon, with regards to his standing in the UFC. He, he knows he's probably never going to be fighting for a, a UFC championship. Um, all he wants to do is, you know, have the opportunity to fight some big names, be involved in some big events and some big cards. And you know what? I think he deserves it just because he's always going to give the fans absolutely everything. So all the credit in the world to Darren Elkins for, for coming back once again and, and getting that win on Saturday. You said it, you said it absolutely bang on at the very start of that. Never count out the damage. He's he's he, the man. Never knows when he's beaten, and uh, yeah, amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. We talked about a couple of judges' decisions at the top of the card. There was one early on on the uh, on the main card. Women's flyweight bout, and a, a fight I was really interested to see. Macy Barber versus Miranda Maverick. Rank, uh, I think Barber ranked fourteenth at one hundred and twenty-five pounds. Maverick thirteenth at 125 pounds both of them considered to be potential contenders of the future which one was best equipped to make that move up and the fight went a distance and when it when it went to the uh, the judges scorecards i i thought miranda maverick had won the fight i didn't think there was an enormous amount of uh, controversy over the fact that i thought maverick had won the fight and then the judges gave their verdict and they gave it to uh, they gave it to Macy Barber via split. So um, two of the judges gave that that crucial middle round to Macy Barber. I gave Maverick rounds one and two. Barber had a really good round in round three. Came back really strongly in round three. wasn't enough for a 10, 10 8, but a good a good strong round to get a ten nine. I thought it was a twenty eight twenty nine fight, but for Maverick, how did you see it, Sandy? Did you did you think that fight should have gone? Uh, Maverick's way or do you think Barber did just enough to edge it because I think it was that middle round that really was the crucial one honestly Simon I think this was the most egregious decision of the night by the judges I couldn't believe it if I'm being honest with you I thought Miranda Maverick clearly won the first two rounds 
Obviously, Macy Barber had that big moment in the third round with that spinning back elbow. And okay, fine, you give her that round. But I thought it was a clear 2-1. I just don't know how you could see it any other way. And it's unfortunate because Miranda Maverick had been riding so much momentum. And I think a lot of people have been really high on her. She's 24 years of age, someone that was probably going to be propelled into a situation where she would be fighting for a title, you know, maybe another fight, maybe a two at the maximum, but maybe even just next because of the momentum and the win streak she had going into this past weekend. Macy Barber, man, I thought her UFC career was on the line. You know, things haven't really panned out for her with regards to her performances. She was trying to be the youngest UFC champion, trying to break that John Jones record. She loses two fights, one to Roxanne Modafferi, then to Alexa Grasso. And I'm sorry to say, but in my opinion, she did not win this fight. She should be looking back at her resume right now, facing a three-fight losing skid. I think she's a very, very lucky girl that the judges gave her this uh, victory on split decision. Um, I feel for Miranda Maverick, and I think I've seen enough now from Macy Barber in terms of her in-cage skill set to confidently say she has a lot of work to do. She has a lot of work to do if she wants to be contending for a title in the next couple of years, because if they ran it back, I think Miranda Maverick would fix a few things, maybe figure out her conditioning in a cardio situation to finish the fight a little bit stronger. So, yeah, I'm a bit dumbfounded, to be honest with you, uh, with that one, Simon, because I thought Miranda Maverick clearly, like I said, clearly had won those first two rounds. That's that's how I saw it. That's exactly how I saw it. I thought... I thought it was a I thought it was a, a a pretty clear win but and I also think that if you look at the relative abilities and skill sets of the two fighters based on what we've seen in the, of of them both so far in the UFC I think Maverick is the one who looks the most ready to make the move up I'm not saying uh Macy won't be ready one day I just think that Maverick is just a couple of steps ahead of her in her development and uh but all credit to Miranda Maverick because after after the dust had settled, she went onto social media and owned owned the fact that she lost. You know, she didn't she didn't cry foul. She didn't scream scream the house down saying that the decision was a disgrace or anything. Obviously, she disagreed with the decision, but she said that she didn't do enough. Um, and I, I, I like that. I like the fact that she's she's putting it on herself and saying I I could and should have done more. And I think that will really propel her forward. Uh, I wouldn't want to be her opponent for the next fight, put it like that. I think she's going to come in with a real a real chip on her shoulder and a point to prove, and I think we'll see probably her best performance of her UFC career to date. As for Macy, she's kind of got a get-out-of-jail-free card getting that win, hasn't she? You know, three losses on the spin. That's not great if you're in the UFC, and, you know, they don't always keep you around. But um, she is someone who, you know, she's got strong personality. She puts herself out there, um, and... Uh, I think with a bit more momentum and if she just takes half a step back and just keeps developing, she, she could become a contender at some point further down the line. But I just think Miranda Maverick won that fight on Saturday. I think Miranda Maverick is the better fighter right now to move up those rankings. And uh, as I say, Maverick 13, Macy Barber 14. I don't think that fight will do a huge amount for the rankings. They might swap places, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, there's some big fights ahead. For, for for both of them um if they want to move up that that 125 pound division which uh is, is is pretty busy you take a look at that division it is pretty busy so uh lots lots for both of them to do but yeah that was that was for me the uh the you know the uh, iffiest of the uh, the three main card decisions 
Before that, we had the main card opener, Sandu, which was the feel-good fight of the night. It was uh, Dr. Pepper versus Reese's Pieces. It was Adrian Yanez versus Randy Costa at Bantamweight. Two guys who love to stand and strike. And both guys have got really crowd-pleasing, easy-on-the-eye striking styles. And it served up a really fun fight. Costa looked really good early. Uh, had Yanez busted up and looked like it was going his way. And then Yanez managed to turn it around in round two, uh, hit him with an absolute peach of an uppercut through the guard that, that put Costa on his knees and uh, finished him with strikes to get the second round TK victory. Two nice guys at the sport, loads of respect heading in, uh, lots of banter on social media, all good natured, but they went in there, put on an absolute banger of a fight. And I think, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that they were on a card that had so many amazing matchups on it, on another night, they could well have been walking away with a fight in the night bonus. Uh, Yanez ended up with a performance of the night bonus, but Costa, unfortunately, uh, just went home with his show money. But uh, yeah, on another night, they could both have ended up earning, earning a few quid extra. But I thought they did a great job leading up Sandu. You don't have to have bad blood to have a rivalry. And rivalries can be fun sometimes. I thought it was it was a refreshing change given some of the stuff we've seen in recent weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought this was going to end up being the fight of the night until we we got what happened between Phillips and Piver, and I, and then when the main event happened, I thought, ooh, maybe they'll give it to the main event. It was that type of card, and I have to say, Simon, Adrian Yanez, uh, he is legit. I think we are looking at a future. I'm not sure champion at this stage, but I think a future title challenger at the very least. The guy has now notched up three knockout slash TKO victories since entering the UFC, which is pretty hard to do in the bantamweight division. And I thought this performance against Randy Costa actually showed me more than any of the other performances. We already know he's got incredible striking, both with his hands and with his feet. He can knock you out. He can finish the fight. The fact that he took all that punishment in that first round on the receiving end of a fantastic Costa jab and just bloodied up his nose and everything. And, and he came back from that to finish Costa. I mean, that you know, you know what it is? It's that je ne sais quoi. It's that the fighter within the fighter. It's the guts and determination, the willingness to persevere. Things of that, things of that nature, man, just tell you so much about where a fighter is at in terms of the willingness to kind of walk through the fire to get the job done. Adrian Yanez is that guy. I'm so excited about his potential future, his matchmaking moving forwards. But wow. And and all credit to Randy Costa. I think, again, you know, on another night, Randy Costa with a few tweaks here and there, you know, he could have ended up finishing the fight and, and winning the fight because he was fantastic in the opening five, uh, five minutes. Um, but yeah, great opener to that main card, Simon. So, so excited about the future when it comes to Adrian Yanez in that bantamweight division. Yeah, I mean, he's he's had three fights in the UFC. He earned his spot uh, via a uh, a TKO. First round, 39-second TKO win on the Contender Series uh, last August. And it's been finishes all the way. Knocked out Victor Rodriguez with a head kick on his debut. He then starches Gustavo Lopez in the third round on his second fight. And then he goes in there with Randy Costa. Walks through the fire in round one. And uh, as you say, shows the ability to, to to fight through adversity and get that second round stoppage. 
all three of his UFC performances, Sandu, have earned him performance of the night bonuses. So, um, you know, the man is the man is turning into a bit of a human highlight reel in the UFC. And uh, yeah, he's in he's in the best division in the UFC um, in terms of being in there and being in exciting fights. Because bantamweight, as we said earlier on, that's where it's at right now in the UFC. It was uh, it was a really 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 impressive performance, fun rivalry. They even said they wouldn't be surprised if they met at some point further down the line. You know, Randy Costa's got a little bit more building back to do, but um, he's he's a fun fighter. I always look out for him when he's on the card. I love watching the man fight. Yanez is another one. And uh, yeah, they, they, they really did put on a show and kicked off that main card in style. Very quickly, we'll run down the uh, the, the, the preliminary card results. Brendan Allen beat Puna Soriano. Uh, Nasaldini Marvov stops Ian Heinish in the second round. Mickey Gall gets a good win. First round finish of contender series vet Jordan Williams. Uh, Julio Arce beats Andre Ewell. Sajara Eubanks absolutely mauled Elise Reed. I was looking forward to seeing Elise Reed, Sandu. I'll watch a bit of Cage Fury fighting championships. And uh, she won the strawweight belt there. Um, basically, in her second pro fight, she's an atom weight, moved up to strawweight to take on uh, a title fight, won the belt, and then defended it a few times and got a call to the UFC. But they put her in with an absolute monster, Sajara Eubanks, who is basically a bantamweight who now is able to cut down to her to flyweight and the size difference was huge and uh the skill level on the ground was huge and the damage to elise reed's face unfortunately was huge so um not a good not not a good debut for elise reed and then the first fight and like we mentioned earlier diana belbita uh from romania picking up her first win in the ufc and looking pretty good doing it against hannah goldie so uh yeah, fight of the night bonus, as you said. Piver versus Phillips. Performance of the night went to Darren Elkins and Adrian Yanez. Good night of fight, Sandu. We said it going in and it delivered. I absolutely loved that on Saturday night. And it was a little bit earlier as well, so I was able to get a little bit of sleep afterwards. Everyone's a winner. I was a happy man. Yeah, I mean, outside of a, a pay-per-view, you know, this card overall was the closest thing to a pay-per-view level in terms of action, in terms of big names. And yeah, that fight night main event, we were talking about it last week, Simon. It just does not get better than that in terms of a fight night main event. That's a fight that could have easily been on a pay-per-view main card. Easy. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, great for the main event guys to show out the way they did in a, in a very closely contended uh, fight. And then credit to all the other fighters, especially the winners, for performing and you know, making a name for themselves, and, and like I said, Simon, you know, you got guys like Adrian Yanez. I think everyone's really excited about his future. Great to see Mickey Gall come back and you know start to put things together now. He's 29, but he feels like, and this is according to him, he feels like a young 29, and he feels like he's going to be involved in this sport for another 10 years. And he had the immortal Matt Brown in his corner, uh, which is great to see. So passing some knowledge on to the young kid. So overall, just. If you can't be satisfied, if you can't be happy walking away from this fight night card um, with a smile on your face, then I don't know what you're looking for. And especially with the time zone difference and it being a little bit earlier than it normally is, happy days for everybody involved. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. And the fight nights keep on coming, Sandu. I mean, we've got another one. The Apex is open for business again uh, this week. And uh, we've got Uriah Hall against Sean Strickland in the main event on Saturday night. Obviously, last time we saw Uriah Hall... Uh, we didn't get to see much of Uriah Hall. He took on Chris Weidman, checked a leg kick, and then had that absolutely horrific leg break 
to uh, to Weidman um, and uh, Hall barely did a thing. You know, he checked a leg kick and that was basically it. Game over. And uh, so he's backing relatively quickly against the man who is looking to really make a few waves at 185 pounds. Sean Strickland, he's been away from the sport a little bit. He's on his way back now. Uh, he's actually riding a four-fight win streak um, with three. Uh, he had two wins last year. He's already got a win over Christoph Jotko this year. He's in good form. He's in good form, and uh, he's taking on primetime Uriah Hall in a main event. And uh, Hall himself is on a four-fight win streak, and it's it really is. You know, whoever wins this is likely to get themselves a a pretty big fight at 185 pounds. So um, they might not necessarily be absolute household name a-listers uh i think uriah hall is known by most sean strickland is is one that the hardcores will certainly be aware of but whoever wins this is going to get a big fight next i think yeah this is a great opportunity for sean strickland uh honestly uh, a couple of years ago if you told me that sean strickland will be going to be main eventing fight night cards you know against you know top five top six top ten competition i'm like yeah i just don't see it i just don't see it um, so he's definitely impressed me with his recent form. And, you know, Uriah Hall, Simon, I think everyone's of the same opinion, showed a lot of promise early on, and then it just didn't work out. And for some for some reason, I don't know what it is, he's finally started to put things together. So unfortunate with what happened you know, in the Chris Weidman fight. Obviously, that is not the way he wanted things to go. But I have to say, Simon, he is now on the best form of his UFC run. Four wins in a row. And even if you put away uh, the freak injury to Chris Weidman, prior to that, the three wins he had, two of them came by knockout, one of which was against the great Anderson Silva. So Uriah Hall is definitely, you know, showing up with some form here. He's the more household name. And if I'm being honest, stylistically, I'd love to see him match up against Israel Adesanya at some point down the road. And I tell you what, you know what? If he can win this fight, Simon, maybe win one more. Just given the fact that Adesanya has pretty much started to run his way through that middleweight division, Uriah Hall would be a fresh matchup. I'd love to see that. But first things first, of course, he has to take care of Sean Strickland. Personally, Simon, I'm picking him to win. Um, I think he'll get the job done. And he's starting to get these situations now with the UFC where he's getting fight night main event situations. And you know, all, all the credit to him because he's finally started to prove... What I think a lot of people, you know, saw early on in his career that he has got the ability uh, to put up and show out on big platforms like a main event in a fight night card. And so let's see what happens on Saturday night. Yeah, I think this is the first time that we can legitimately say that Uriah Hall is the A side in a UFC main event. He main evented uh, against Gegard Mousasi in in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, I think we were both over there for that one. Uh, a fight that he, he lost by uh, by TKO. That was a rematch. Uh, he'd beaten Musashi previously. And uh, he was in the main event against Anderson Silva. And you're never the A-side when Anderson Silva's in the fight. So um, as much as he was the younger, more informed fighter, in terms of star power, uh, Silva, Silva really, even though he was listed second on the, on the bill, Silver was the A-side for that fight. So this one, undoubtedly, Uriah Hall is the A-side. So I'm looking forward to this. I, and previously, I would have turned around and looked at a matchup like this, Sandy, and said, it all depends which Uriah Hall shows up. You know what I mean? Because you look back through his career, there have been times where he's turned up and looked like a million bucks. 
And then there's other times where he's turned up and he just hasn't been able to let his hands go, hasn't been able to let his strikes go, and he's gotten beat. But we can't say that of late. He's won four in a row. Granted, the last one was a bit of a freak a freak finish. But he's in good form, and it's, it's, it's justified good form. He's producing good performances. Uh, you know, the only, the only fight of those four wins that wasn't a finish was against Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, Shoeface, who is an absolute monster of a man at 185 pounds. I mean, he's basically a heavyweight you can cut down. He's huge, uh, but he still got the win. He found a way to get the win, and that was back in 2019. Beats Anderson Silva inside the distance. Obviously, we had the Chris Weidman fight. This, for me, is the showcase opportunity for Uriah Hall. If he goes in there and smokes Sean Strickland, he's getting a really big fight next. If Strickland can go in there and beat Uriah Hall, all of a sudden, he's making inroads towards the top guys in the 185-pound division. I think it's a great piece of matchmaking. I really do. And uh, I think I think it should deliver a stylistically pretty good fight because Strickland loves to stand and throw hands. And, uh, you know, Hall, obviously is a striking first fighter as well. I think the kicks will be crucial here. I think Hall's ability to control the range of the kicks, I think he gets it done. So uh, we'll see how that one goes in the main event on Saturday night. Just taking a look on the on, on the rest of the card, what else is leaping off the card for you, Sandu? Is there anything on there that sort of jumps out of, you know, uh, an undercard fight that you need to pay uh, close attention to? You know what, Simon? Sam Alvey's always good value uh, for, for your money in terms of showing up and, and putting on a performance. Um, I am interested in Jin Yu Fry. You know, she is someone that's come over from Invicta and her UFC run didn't start off with the greatest of runs. Two, lot, two back-to-back losses, but I thought she looked pretty good in her performance um, earlier this year, a couple of months ago, against uh, Gloria de Paula. And I feel like, you know, just given the fact that, you know, she is 36 she needs to really put on the performances and put to a run together sooner rather than later. Um, hopefully, it, maybe it was octagon jitters and maybe getting used to um, the weight class because she has, you know, performed a lot of her fights in the past at atom weight. The UFC doesn't obviously have an atom weight division. I'm curious to see, you know, what she can do now. Uh, Munir Laziz, he's a great fighter. I'm look, this, this, this is a, again another one of those cards, Simon, where I feel like maybe there's a lot of names people aren't familiar with. Not a lot of household names, but it's going to be upon the fighters to put on a performance, do something memorable, both in the cage and on the mic. 15 fights I'm counting right now, Simon. This is an absolutely stacked card, so there's going to be a lot of fights on the fight past prelims. I'm actually off this weekend. I've got some family um, you know, affairs to deal with and some, some functions to attend, so I'm actually completely off. I won't be working this weekend, um, so I'm going to catch up with the results after the fact and see what's popping on social media. But yeah, I think outside of that main event, it does, if you're a casual fan, become a little bit of slim pickings. But like I said, Simon, this is where I feel like some of these guys and girls are going to need to um, do something that's memorable and, and make the most of the opportunity. Yeah. And seeing as we're on the, uh, we're on that bantamweight hype train right now, keep an eye out for Ronnie Lawrence versus Trevin Jones on the prelim card. That might be your sleeper for fight of the night. I think, Two guys there who are both super talented at 135 pounds, uh, quite early in their UFC careers uh, from from contender series. So that one will definitely be worth a look. But uh, another another fight night card at the Apex, and uh, we're galloping towards another pay per view, which will not be too far around the corner. But uh, Sandu, we have pay per view news when it comes to the UFC. Some breaking news, literally minutes before we hit record on the podcast today. 
Absolutely, Simon. And it's a fight that we all thought was going to happen. And it's now official, according to ESPN's Brett Okamoto. And it's been confirmed by numerous other media outlets since we've been recording the podcast today. Kamaru Usman, Colby Covington 2 is going down at a, a venue and location that's yet to be determined. It's going to take place at UFC 268 in November. And the UFC are looking to target that as the main event for a return to Madison Square Garden. So there you have it, Simon. What are your initial thoughts and reaction to that bit of news? Well, I was at the first fight between them and it was an unbelievable matchup. I mean, Colby is like the cardio king and uh, we didn't know how Usman would go. Um, big, strong, uh, very muscly, welterweight, if you like. Would he, would he have the gas tank to go? with uh, Colby Covington. The answer was an emphatic yes, and it was an absolute banger of a fight, and eventually he broke down Colby and finished him late. Unbelievable fight. I've been looking forward to this. Obviously, as Brits, we have uh, a vested interest in what else is going on in that division. Leon Edwards has been has been there or thereabouts for a title shot forever, and I, I want to see him in there and get that title shot. Business-wise, I understand why they've gone with Colby. This is a huge fight. It's a huge fight. It's a rematch. It's a guaranteed seller, and uh, it's the perfect sort of fight for New York. If they can get that in Madison Square Garden, that will be that will be a lot of fun. That would be a lot of fun. I would love to get my backside over to New York and watch that one in person. That would be that would be a huge one. But um, yeah, it's it feels to me like we've got this nice happy medium going on with the UFC now. They're doing the fight nights at the Apex and the pay per views. They're loading the deck and putting them in front of big crowds and. You know, T-Mobile's up and running again, and uh, Madison Square Garden uh, could well be added to the schedule soon. Let's cross our fingers and hope that everything stays okay uh, in uh, in New York, and uh, they can actually get that thing booked because that would be that would be fantastic. I'd love to see that. And uh, you know, we know that Madison Square Garden shows don't just have one title fight on them, so expect expect more big fights to be added to that pay per view in the coming weeks and months um it's it's a huge market for the ufc it was such a big deal when they went there for ufc 205 we actually recorded a an episode of the, of, of, uh, the brit pack back in our first iteration from madison square garden outside madison square garden uh during fight week for mcgregor versus alvarez that was a lot of fun and uh you know one day it wouldn't be bad to go back and uh, repeat the trick at some point but we're, not, we're you know we're not quite there yet but yeah really looking forward to that uh that that event but sandu we have a big event this weekend and we haven't even started on this one yet saturday night pretty much the same time as the ufc i don't know whether the ufc will go early again in order that there isn't a direct conflict or whether they'll just say sod it we'll go we'll go head to head bellator 263 is going to take place at the Forum, uh, that iconic venue in Inglewood, California, Inglewood, California, and it's pretty much the biggest fight that Bellator could put on. Patricio Pitbull, featherweight and lightweight champion of the world, against AJ McKee, undefeated phenom in the Grand Prix final, the featherweight Grand Prix final. Pitbull's featherweight belt is on the line. McKee said he wants to fight him twice, beat him twice, and take both of his belts. And this is this is stop number one. Uh, McKee has torn through his half of the draw to get into the final. Pitbull had a bit of a tough start um, to his tournament. 
against Juan Archuleta. But since then, he's been ripping through the competition as well. Now they're in the final. And uh, I cannot wait. I think I'm going to be on BBC duty for this one. Um, and uh, like the whole, I mean, the main card as a whole is great. It's it's a really good main card. And uh, But that fight at the top of the card, Sandu, that is pretty much the best of the best when it comes to Bellator MMA. It's going to be an absolutely huge fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the stars aligned here, Simon. If you looked at the way this featherweight Grand Prix bracket was laid out initially, you know, Pitbull versus AJ McKee, I think that's what the fans wanted, the media wanted. I think that's definitely what Bellator wanted. You know, you've got Pitbull, who's literally been one of the faces of Bellator. He's been a part of, you know, the, the Bellator fabric for a very, very long time, and especially as champion. Um, you know, he's done so much for the organization. He's obviously a big name for them in Brazil as well. And on the flip side, Simon, you've got AJ McKee. You want to talk about homegrown talent? AJ McKee made his debut for Bellator in April of 2015. And he is 17-0. All the fights have taken place in Bellator. I mean, he has really been, you know, one of the guys that they can truly say is a Bellator fighter through and through. He's undefeated, Simon. And for, for them to be able to parade an undefeated champion, just given his run, homegrown, all the rest of it, and to knock off someone like Patricio Ferrer, who's 34 years of age, AJ McKee is 26. I mean, you have to think that deep down, everyone involved at Bellator is kind of hoping for an AJ McKee win here, just given the fact that he's young, very well-spoken, super marketable, second-generation MMA fighter, He's undefeated. You know, he just ticks so many boxes. He's so um, media friendly. He, you know, he does a lot of media here. He gets it. He gets the promotional side of the game. Uh, but it's going to be a tough test because Patricio Pitbull Ferrer is one tough customer. I'm excited about it. I think this is the the biggest fight Bellator have had in years. Um, I think looking back at maybe some of the wars between. Eddie Alvarez and Michael Chandler, this for me feels like could even eclipse that only because Bellator as an organization is a lot more mature. They've got better broadcast partners in place. And you talked about, you know, being on BBC duty. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing for this fight and I can't wait. Yeah, this is, this is a fascinating one. I actually, uh, I went back and sort of skim, skim watched um, some of the build up uh build up video content on the Bellator YouTube channel which is they've they've got separate videos of how they both got to the final and uh it's really interesting to see the difference in the way these two guys fight Patricio uh he's so controlled he's like a coiled spring he doesn't dive he doesn't dive in and uh it's one of those where he he's he, he almost waits for his opponent to sort of open themselves up and then he strikes like a sniper and he's so good at what he does and he's made he's made a real career out of it and he's on a seven fight win streak he's doing absolutely superb and then you've got AJ who he's got his long undefeated he's got his long undefeated streak but in some of these fights he's looked a little bit wild he's looked a little bit wild he's made a few little errors here and there his finishes have been eye catching and outstanding and they're the things that go into the highlight reel but I think the Pitbull brothers will have looked in depth at um, some of the tape at AJ McKee and will think that he offers a lot of opportunities. So will AJ be able to fight clean in regards to not giving 
Patricio any opportunities because if they if, if if he doesn't and he gives him opportunities he will get beat there is no doubt about it because Patricio is that good but if AJ can go in there and just impose himself um, early then uh, who knows could be 18 and 0 most wins in Bellator history already I think he's got most submissions most stoppages uh, as a featherweight so who knows he could be walking away with a million bucks featherweight belt and uh, the guy he wants to call out next is the guy he's literally just beat because he'll be calling him out for a rematch at 155. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's absolutely huge. Um, and uh, Mads Bernal is in the co-main against Emmanuel Sanchez. Uh, Usman Nurmagomedov is on the card. Um, do not do not miss out on him. He is super. Brent Primus, former lightweight champion, is on the card. And uh, Goethe Yamauchi, who is a con- consistent contender at the lightweight, he is also on the card. That is a great fight card. That'll be on BBC iPlayer here in the UK. It'll be on Showtime stateside. But Sandu, in my excitement to talk about this amazing Bellator fight and uh, the fight card, we kind of skimmed over what we were talking about before, and I didn't get I didn't get your 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 take on the whole Kamara Usman Colby Covington fight. I mean, I I, I, I hold my hands up and apologise because you know that is a huge huge fight and. Uh, you know, well worth well worth deep diving into a little bit more. Yeah, shame on you, Simon. Here I was providing <laughs> you the layout, breaking the news, setting you up for your take, and you couldn't even throw the baton back to me to give to give me a, an opportunity to give my two cents. It's all. I'm good. a disgrace. I'm a disgrace. I'll have a word with myself. Look, I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say <laughs> about this fight. Number one, number one. Let's talk about Kamaru Usman, Simon, because if he beats Colby Covington for a second time. I think we could be wrapping up the conversation on fighter of the year 2021. A win over Gilbert Burns, a finish. An absolute highlight reel knockout win of a Jorge Masvidal. And then a second win over Colby Covington, that's going to be hard to top. Now, are there other contenders in the mix? Depending on what matchups we get, you've got Francis Ngannou, you've got a couple of others, absolutely. But right now, where my mind is out with Kamaru Usman, given his performances and level of competition, wow, that would be absolutely massive, especially for it to be you know, in Madison Square Garden. If that's what happens, main event, all the rest of it, that will be absolutely huge for the Nigerian nightmare. Then we're talking pound for pound. Then we can start to have a conversation about greatest welterweight because he would have started to run through the division you know, for a second time in terms of competition. So that's Kamaru Usman, number one. Number two, Colby Covington. You know what? Say what you like about the guy. You know, he rubs people the wrong way in terms of how he's gone about promoting himself and some of the things that he's brought up from a, a political point of view. But the man has been sitting on this Tyron Woodley win, Simon, for quite some time. And you know why he's done that? Because he knows what he brings to the table in terms of being a draw, in terms of causing a bit of friction. There's the history with, you know, with Kamaru Usman in terms of the first fight. We know the UFC loves to make, re, you know, make rematches, especially title fight rematches and you know he does have an audience that other guys in the division just don't have you know he is a legitimate draw he's not on the level of a connor or nate diaz or jorge masvidal but if you want to talk about maybe a second tier of draws in the ufc Corbin covington is definitely in that pack and then the other major takeaway i have from this fight announcement or at least the the reported announcement from members of the media and journalists is where from a british perspective this is the brit pack after all where does this leave leon edwards 
We spoke about how they, things could play out if they went, you know, with Kamara Usman, Colby Covington uh, a, a while back, Simon. And I want to kind of bring that conversation back to the fore because Leon Edwards has been undefeated since losing to Kamara Usman in 2015. He has already done, and I guess I can speak for both of us here, he has already done more than enough to warrant and earn a title shot. But the fact that this fight looks like it's going to be taking place in November of this year, if Leon Edwards is going to sit to the side and kind of do what Colby Covington has done and just kind of hold on to you know, his, his win streak and, and fight the winner of Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington, you're looking at maybe, what, spring of 2022? Does he want to stay out that long, just given the long layoff he had quite recently? Can he afford to, given this is how he earns a living? And then finally, you know how many variables are involved with UFC and matchmaking and title fights. Who's to say they won't even go in a different direction, given the lay of the land um, in early 2022? What if Colby Covington wins? They'll, of course, do the, the immediate trilogy fight, right? So I think Leon Edwards now is in a difficult situation. Since the news broke, Gilbert Burns has been going hard on social media in the last hour or so, Simon. He wants that Leon Edwards fight. He's even down for it to be a five-round co-main event to the Kamaru Usman Colby Covington fight. It's tough, Simon. It's so tough. If, if I'm Leon Edwards, Simon, I'm trying to figure out a way to get that Jorge Masvidal fight. You just were in a situation where you fought Nate Diaz. I think the Jorge Masvidal fight is a is a more winnable fight for Leon Edwards. It's a fight that's got marquee value. You know, you throw Masvidal into the mix in, in, in Madison Square Garden, and the fact that Colby Covington's going to be in, in the main event, I think that's got all the right ingredients for big pay-per-view draw, attraction, contenders, You've got storylines inbuilt from their altercation back in London. I think that's what Leon Edwards and his team and Jorge Masvidal and his team should be angling for as a co-main event. And let's, let's play the Diaz card, make it a five-round co-main event because precedent has been set. If there's a situation where he has to fight a Gilbert Burns, my God, it would be so risky, so, so risky to, to potentially lose everything that you've kind of like, you know, earned after all these years, because Gilbert Burns is such a tough customer. We saw what he's capable of in the Stephen Wonder by Thompson fight. And by the way, I don't blame Gilbert Burns one bit for angling for the Leon Edwards fight because a win over Leon Edwards and he's right back in there uh, to, to fight for the title. So right now, my thoughts are with Leon Edwards. I have no idea how this is all going to shake out, but it's going to be interesting times for him right now because we know he's not a draw, but when it comes to meritocracy, he's already done more than enough to earn a title shot. Interesting times, Simon, to say the least when it comes to that welterweight picture. It really is. I mean, there's two ways to approach this, aren't there? I mean, the, the first one is Dana White has already said the fight to make is Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal, right? That, that's, that's the, it's come out the boss's mouth. That's the fight. And if you're Leon, that's the fight you want. It's the it's the higher profile fight. It's a fight that I think on paper you'll be uh, you'll be more strongly favoured to win. Everything it, it ticks all the boxes, right? It ticks all the boxes. And also, you beat him. I think you could look good against Hoy Masvidal because of the way Masvidal fights. I think that's a good stylistic matchup for him. But if you want to, if if your aim of the game is to become the champion, and it is. 
And you're listed third in the UFC rankings behind Gilbert Burns. Um, then there is an argument for saying, for goodness sake, let's just get rid of this Gilbert Burns guy. I can light him up on the feet. You know, I'm good enough. You know, my wrestling defense is good enough to stop him from taking me down. I'll light him up on the feet and I'll finish him. That's that's what you'd be thinking if you're Leon Edwards. So you might take you might take the view that look, you give me Masvidal, I want to know that that's a number. I, I want to know that I'm getting a title fight immediately after that fight. Or you just take the Gilbert Burns fight because hey, if you want to be the champion, you got to beat all these guys anyway. So I think on paper Gilbert Burns is is the harder fight, but I also think stylistically Gilbert Burns is kind of tailor-made for Leon Edwards, if I'm honest with you. Um, Gilbert Burns, is is he doesn't have the uh, the best chin. He has been knocked out in the past. Leon Edwards, he's not just a power striker. He throws with speed, and he's got the, the sort of striking speed that very few people at 170 pounds have got. And I think that that accuracy, speed, uh, along with the fact that Burns it can be a bit gung-ho, I think... That I think I would I would favour Edwards strongly in that fight. So um, I don't know. I mean, if I'm Leon, obviously there's a score to settle with Masvidal, um, and if you can avoid being dragged into any kind of personal personal battles and letting the emotion of it get to him, that's a great fight. But in many ways, the one that makes the most sense now is to say Gilbert Burns wants me in a co-main event. Okay, let's do it. This is this is a title eliminator. We get the winner. Whoever wins this gets the winner. It means you're on the same timeline as the champ. And that, for me, makes the most sense. Um, obviously, you know, the Masvidal fight will still be there if he wins or loses. So um, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because I've, I've wanted that Masvidal fight for a long time. But I think whichever of those fights he takes, I think the Masvidal fight builds in. There's, there, there's more scope for it going wrong for Leon because if they book that fight they'll probably look to book Burns versus Michael Chiesa that would be my that would be my assumption right they'll do Burns versus Michael Chiesa and then it's a case of who who performed best gets the next title shot so if Burns goes in there and smokes Michael Chiesa in short order and Leon Edwards goes four rounds in a five round main event or five round showcase co-main event with Masvidal or goes all five rounds, then, you know, Burns can be there going, hang on a minute, I'll finish my guy, you know? Um, so, I don't know. If, maybe if you face Burns, you kind of eliminate the risk of being sort of shafted, you know? You go out there and beat him. What else can they give him? He's beaten everybody. So, that's 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 the argument for taking the Gilbert Burns fight. But I do think that if Leon has got, if Leon's got designs to be next in line, he needs to be fighting either on that card or the very next card um, after that. So, the you know, the common sense thing, be on that card, be part of the narrative immediately after the main event. Be the guy who wins and calls out the winner before they even fight. That, 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 that to me is an absolute no-brainer. And uh, we'll, see, we'll see if it happens. We'll see if it happens, but... The way it could all come together, it could be an absolutely huge night on in uh, in in New York at Madison Square Garden. I'm looking forward to it already. We yeah, only know one fight. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I can't <laughs> wait. And the UFC, are, I think they're really going to be loading up the second half of the year. You know, we've got Derek Lewis versus 
um, Cyril Gann coming up in a couple of weeks. The winner's going to go on to fight Francis Ngannou later on this year. And like I said, you know, Ngannou wins the win, you know, and defends his title. He's in the running for fighter of the year as well. It's uh, it's an African takeover, Simon. What can I say? You know, slowly but surely, these African fighters have become UFC champions, household names, superstars, draws, and it's high time that the UFC went over to that continent and hopefully happens at some point in 2022. But man, absolutely loaded and stacked second half of this year. Um, and, you know, they don't have a Conor McGregor to, to rely on for any big fights this year. He'll be out until next year. You've got Nate Diaz there still. You know, Nick Diaz making a comeback. Jorge Masvidal, uh, as we just talked about. You know, if, if I'm Jorge Masvidal, I'm wanting to fight Leon Edwards on that card. MSG. Because if he wins, boom. You know, especially if Colby Covington wins in the main event, maybe they don't go trilogy. Maybe they go like from a promotional standpoint. This is why I think the Leon Edwards Masvidal fight makes so much sense, so much more sense on that particular card. From a promotional standpoint, the fallout both in terms of winners and losers, could really help set up some big, big fights for the UFC you know, as we head into uh, the, the, the early part of 2022. Um, but you know, that all said, it's just, it's just bonkers that the UFC are making some of the fights that they are. And like you said, they're going to some big markets like New York. They're holding these pay-per-views in sold-out arenas. And, and hopefully, uh, either by the end of this year or the next year, the fight nights will start to move on over to arenas as well. Because... Goodness knows there are many markets, countries, and cities globally that would love to welcome the UFC back. Yeah, absolutely. And fingers crossed, London might be the first. You know, just taking a look at the schedule right now, uh, we've got we've got UFC Fight Night at the Apex this weekend. We've got 265 is in Houston, Texas. We've got a couple of Apex events in August, uh, Fight Night events. And then, penciled in, September the 4th is UFC Fight Night 192. Venue TBD, but is expected to be London, England. So keep your fingers crossed that that, that is how things will go. And uh, it is also, uh, over the last week, it's been announced, not officially, but um, Bellator could be coming back to Dublin November the 5th. Uh, Patchy Mix and James Gallagher are booked to face off on that date. Uh, that that sounds like a absolutely huge main event bantamweight fight to me. So um, that would be a huge one to uh, to get things going back at the uh, back at the three arena in Dublin, which is one of the most atmospheric places to watch MMA. So uh, fingers crossed, things start getting up and running. But UFC pay per views for the rest of the year, based on what we know, two sixty five is in Houston, two sixty six September twenty fifth. That's uh, International Fight Week. That's in Las Vegas, two sixty seven is going to be Fight Island, Abu Dhabi, and then 268. Uh, if if it's working out the way that we think it's working out, Madison Square Garden, New York City. So it's all coming together. We've got these big, they're almost like tentpole events at this point, and uh, the fights are going to come thick and fast, and the UFC are stacking the deck for these pay-per-views. It's going to be, it's going to be a good second half of the year, and I can't wait. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun to cover. But I think, Sandu, that pretty much wraps us up this week. It does indeed. And for everyone that wants to help support the show, the best way of doing that is going to our website. Yes, we have a website, the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. From there, you can find us on all our various social media handles, the BritPack handle, my handles, Simon's handles. And we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And those of you that do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, 
please do us a favor, rate and review us. It goes a long way in helping us get found on that particular platform. And we're actually also available on YouTube. It's an audio only version for the time being. But if you do like to listen to podcasts on YouTube while it's you know tucked away behind your browser while you're working away, it's available for you. The show long term, hopefully within the next couple of months, will be moving to a video show and a video podcast and YouTube is going to be the platform and the spot for it. So go on over to our YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel now and uh, get in early doors because the Brit Pack will be going places in the second half of this year as well. Yeah, everything is ramping up for the second half of 2021. It's a double header this weekend, whether you're going to go for UFC Vegas 33 at the Apex or whether you're going to do Bellator 263 from the forum in Inglewood, or maybe you might just be able to sort of flick between the two. Uh, enjoy the fights this weekend. It should be a good one. And we'll be back next week to speak about it all. Have a good one. <laughs>